Welcome to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And uh, just as a reminder, of course, we're here bringing you new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And if you've listened to any of these programs, you already know all the preliminaries. However, I will give them later on in the program as well. But I want to jump right into our conversation with a returning guest, Michael Goddard. And um, he's got a, a at least one book and uh, there's a second one on the way. We won't be talking about those necessarily, although the one that is out the new now. Michael, welcome back to the program. Richard, thanks so much for having me back. It's great to be here. It is really a pleasure. The new now, I love the title. Uh, let's just give a quick synopsis. We'll touch on that. But one of the areas that we're really going to talk about in this program uh, has to do with the relationship you have with, and I'm going to put it this way, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always open to correction is um, reincarnation. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. But give us a quick synopsis about The New Now. Well, A, a New Now is, is really a guidebook on how to live. It covers virtually every area of activity and thought. It's a way of empowering your higher mind. I, I really clarify what your higher mind is, your lower mind, vis-a-vis -vis your soul. So I cover the 33 wisdoms, which are the 11 loving wisdoms, the 11 guiding wisdoms, and the 11 evolutionary wisdoms. And I also share the 10 steps for achieving equal, equilibrium. These are the 10 keys. So it's a very hands-on uh, participatory book. And uh, I also have on my website, cotter.com, a journey journal, which you can download. And you can search your progress and your activities in it. Uh, the, the feedback has been tremendous. It's been favorably compared to a new now. It's really based on my uh, over 50 years of meditation with a fully realized master and my continuing development of intuition. Intuition is so, a, uh, yes, I was going to say intuition is a big deal uh, on this program. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's a very active part of the book in terms of developing your intuition and the types of intuition you can uh, develop. And also, it's really also learning about what questions to ask, how you can live the best life now, moment to moment. We're just pulled in so many directions all the time by external forces. This is really about taking your life back and creating the truest, most authentic life for you. Now, talk to me about uh, the right questions, because sometimes um, my, it's not so much a question as a plea. What do I do now? Um, exactly. Which, which yeah. is rather broad ended and, and uh, it, you know, doesn't give too many specifics as to what it is that I really want. Well, well that's where um, le learning to how to develop your intuition comes in. I'm. I am often at that place of wondering what to do next because I have about 25 competing priorities. It's one thing that really works for me is quieting my mind and repeating uh, a mantra. Actually, the mantra I use uh, a series of holy names in my meditation and just letting go of, of all those cross currents. And all of a sudden, it'll come through. We all have a higher consciousness, which really knows no, no boundaries. And it's really about tapping into that. And that's what a new now helps you practice, is learning what to do next and how to respond. I mean, if somebody comes, comes at you with a cutting comment or something that's critical, there's a whole gamut of ways you can respond to that or ignore it. So it's really about empowering you to live your highest life possible and to in increase your spirituality. The whole idea, Richard, is that everything around us is unreal. It, it feels real, it seems real, but it's all an illusion. And we're really here to grow in spirituality, to em empower our soulful life. And that's sort of where reincarnation comes in, which we can get into uh, whenever you wish. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking with Michael Goddard, and we're talking about the work that uh, he has been uh, doing uh, over the, um, 
How many years would you say you've been searching? I, I started at the age of 17. I'm 63 now. Well, I actively started searching when I was 10. And I, after I turned 11, I actually defined my search. I let go of my parents' religion, Richard, uh, because it didn't feel alive for me. No religion felt really alive enough and would give me what I wanted. And my goal was to find uh, the answer to life and death and to attain an eternal consciousness of bliss. And I just kept searching and um, reading all kinds of metaphysical books. And when I when I was 20, I, I found what I was looking for. I found the right spiritual path for me. So one thing I say typically in all my interviews is that seeking is really the highest calling, uh, seeking for the source, God, the nameless being, you can give, give that supreme being any name. So our whole life really should be about seeking after truth. Hmm. Well, that, I, that will help us feel complete. Well, I, I have to say that that my search, of course, has been uh, a rather interesting one over the years. It's taken me so many different places. How about you in terms of your search? What, what are some of the areas that maybe at the time you thought, what does this have to do with what I'm searching for? Did you, and, and I guess maybe that's the bigger question, what was it that you were searching for? Because, you know, I've never actually asked myself that question. <laughs> oh, really? Well, this would be a good time to explore and, and, and after the show. I, I was searching, really, for the answer to life and death. And I, I couldn't accept the fact that I was just going to die uh, in a very passive way. I wanted to know what would happen, where I'd be going. Uh, I, I felt there was a possibility of immortality and continuing consciousness. Now... When we talk about seeking, uh, I recovered 88 of my past lives, and I write about that in my memoir, In Search of Lost Lives. And the reason I bring that up is that in my past life, my most recent life, uh, I was an Englishman, and I was the co-owner of a family office supply uh, business. We were upper middle class, so I worked, but I also had a lot of free time. So I also call that my seeker life. And that life was all about seeking. I would read book after book. I would go to foils. I you know, recovered the bookstore I, I went to. And I was just searching for that certain something, but I didn't I never really found it. I tried on all kinds of metaphysical paths and teachings, followers, you know, like Gurchev, Madame Blavatsky. But the the point is that I was really laying a terrific foundation, foundation of rock, a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. What I also discovered is that the life previous to that, I was also English and I was an English banker. And in that life, I had two foreign postings. And the first one was in Bombay, uh, where I was a banker. And in that life, I did meet what I consider a fully realized saint or master. Call them what you want, a mystic adept. So that really lit the fire within Richard. So that was really the spark I needed to, to keep searching. Do you find many people in your uh, travels, as it were, who uh, have realized the necessity for uh Show we'll call put it this way the search. Oh yes, definitely. I mean, it, virtually everybody who tunes in or I, I get live questions, they're seeking, but but they don't have that foundation. They don't really know what they're looking for. Um, the the point is, it's hard to come across truth unless you have contact with somebody who is the embodiment of truth. I'm, I mean, people are rightly attached. Uh, to certain historical figures who were are called saints. They may have created miracles. They were holy men. But if they didn't write books themselves, if their followers didn't take what they said verbatim, uh, 
you can't really ascertain what you're getting is the truth. I mean, like a prime example is the Bible in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and so on and so forth. And I write a lot about that in my new forthcoming book. Well, what does the word mean? I mean, I went to a literary uh, festival once and I mean, the person was saying that, you know, the word meant it was a written word. And it's like, you know, are we supposed to picture God up in the sky with his leg crossed, you know, writing with a magic marker and creation was happening in that way? No, word, word really is just translated. It's, it's really a mystical term. It's another term for logos, the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's really what's also called the Shabbatun. It's a mystical it's, it's really the stuff of everything that, that is invisible, but with which you can be connected to. Mm -hmm. So so the word is something that did uh, create our, our world. And it's something you can hear and see if you get attuned to it. And that's, that's actually the kind of meditation I do. Uh, in my initiation, I was attuned to the mystic word uh, that's spoken about by saints throughout history. Mm. So go ahead. No, uh, follow, I mean, that was a, a lot to unpack. So feel free to explore <laughs> any way you wish. I, uh, I, I haven't, I mean, I can sit here and say, okay, I was search. I have been searching for, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess the first thing would be, I've been searching for answers to, uh, the fundamental questions of of existence, uh, uh, you know, yes. The, the, the immortal questions of humankind. Yeah, why am I here? You know, what's my life's purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Well, f feel free to throw them out and I, I will help try to help answer them as best I can. All right, well, we'll and we'll get to that. But what yeah. I found so fascinating was when I was 16, 17 years old, and this was... Uh, uh, a few years before I started working um, actually at a religious radio station, Christian station, more evangelical fundamentalist. And of course I was born and raised a Catholic and um, I was asking these questions and they would give me these answers, but they didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. They made no, it's like, huh? Uh, I, I, just case in point, um, uh, this whole business of uh, we'll just use uh, John three sixteen as the example. Um, I, 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 what, what you're telling me is that I have to do something in exchange for eternal quote unquote eternal salvation, so I don't go to hell. And I'm thinking, isn't that a form of extortion? I mean, that's where I was coming from at the time. And there's a part of me that still kind of feels that way. Uh, so I continued to ask these questions. And then, of course, lately, I've actually come to the perspective. If God truly loved the world, and when you define the world, the word world, it is uh, the people who reside in it, the creation, if you will, Um then he would not have, he, <laughs> uh, pardon my anthropomorphizing, uh, but um, it's like if, if, if God truly loved us, he wouldn't have set us up. I mean, that's, that's the, the observation that I have. And Lucifer, the son of the morning, the, the morning star, whatever the interpretation you want, he was also set up because God being omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, he God knew how everything was going to unfold. I hear the the people on the on the far right, uh, religiously, philosophically, complaining about much of what's going on in this country, especially when you start talking about the whole. Uh, um, I will say it's the extension of the '60s of the sexual revolution, in terms of trying to identify who I what I identify with male female etc cetera, etc cetera. and um and i'm going but wait a minute your very own writings predicted if you if you choose to believe them your very own writings that you promote 
already told you that this was going to happen. Why are you fighting it? It makes no sense. Let it happen. We'll move on to a new story and, and a new paradigm. Then um, that's just, again, those are my observations. So when I would ask all of these questions, uh, I even came up with this, uh, this perspective, Michael. I would be more than happy to have you emblazon a giant H on my forehead as a heretic. Because I'm not buying the party line because it doesn't make any sense. If, if, if uh, the creator gave me this brain, and even in the, uh, in the Old Testament, it says, let us, come to, let us come and reason together. Well, where do you do your reasoning? In the brain. So shouldn't we consider all of these things logically? Because quite honestly, the mysteries of Christianity are no more far-fetched from my perspective as an observer than those of, say, Mormonism or Scientology. Okay? Um, so when you, when you ask the questions that you ask, or even some of that I've already posed, how do you, so to speak, clear the mental palate in order to do your best at parsing the information that you're gathering. And then, of course, the bigger question in that regard is, where are you getting that information? Well, I'm, I, I have, I'm graced with having a foundation of, of the teaching, of the true teachings of saints who've come throughout history, like Rumi, Kabir, um, Christ rightly interpreted. I mean, John and Matthew, there's a lot of wisdom in there, but to really understand them, you need a really a perfect teacher to to explain them. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the, the, the problem with, you know, the challenge for people in the West is that a lot of the really fundamental metaphysical truths are, are either not accepted or people are oblivious of them. Uh, just take you know the dreaded word karma uh, and the mind. Well, the thing is, we we are not masters of our mind. Most people are dominant. In in the book Anu Now, I really clarify the difference between higher mind, habitual mind, and lower mind. And your higher mind is is the part of you that seeks God, that wants to be good, that wants to be in service. The the part of you that expresses the virtues. Mm -hmm. What I call the habitual mind is really the mind that shows up uh, week in, week out. It's the part of you that says, oh, I need to take the garbage out. I I need to brush my teeth tonight, that mind. Mm -hmm. The lower mind is the mind that likes to make people wrong, that criticizes, that backbites, that's really a victim to all the senses. So we started out, all of us is a soul that is that is beyond sex, that is a projection of the eternal supreme being. And for whatever reason, we really can't know till we return, the, the great power of the supreme being projected itself through levels of creation. Mm -hmm. And to come down here, we had to associate with a mind. And then to be born in the physical, we need a physical body. So, Creation really has grand divisions. And when you leave the purely spiritual regions, you come to the first most powerful mental region, which is called the causal. There, if you're existing, you just think of something and it's basically created. Below that is what's called the astral region. And it's given all kinds of names by different saints from different times. Mm. And there you have an astral body. Well, when you're born, you come out with a physical body. Otherwise, you couldn't exist in the world. So initially, we did have the free will. And basically, with our will, we can either go away toward God or toward God. Basically, there, there's the higher being, which is spirit, which is your inherent true nature. And there's all the gratifications of the senses. So just, I mean, take one of the, the mental perversions, which we would call ego. If you backbite somebody, that is that is creating, that's an action that will create a reaction. Mm. It creates a karma. So everything we're going through is, is karmic. Um, 
it's almost not used talking about it, but it's good to accept the fact that basically it's invisible unless you rise to a higher level within. So in a sense, it's easy to feel that we've been given a raw deal. And, you know, people create these, these groups or franchises that have a lot of power and they have the power to, to terrify and make you keep in line. The, the point I want to do is to empower people to contact the still voice within. We all have God within us. God is not out there. I mean, you can go to a holy place and worship, but the worship is going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. So the main thing is to have a sincere, true heart to, to seek God um, and to begin by developing that spiritual intuition, you can be, begin to rely on yourself to go in the right direction. You know, we don't, in a sense, we don't have free will, but we always have to act as if we have free will. So if somebody does something to you that is hurtful, you can you can try to monitor your response and what will be the most spiritual way to handle that. So I don't know if I responded in the right way to what you asked. I typically forget the exact <laughs> question. No, you've you've done just fine. You know, it raises additional questions in regards to this concept of of free will. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, uh, in terms of there are those who say, uh, as you and I probably would agree, we have free will. There are others who will say we don't. And there's the the uh, the the uh, perplexity, if you will, of the conversation, because on the one hand, as I mentioned earlier about the current events and the complaining about uh, how our society is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's like, but your philosophy tells us your your great writings tell us that this is supposed to happen before the end of the world. You should be happy that it's happening because that means that we're getting close to the end of the world, if you will. And, well, uh, whose end I have to ask? <laughs> that's that's the other part of it. <clears throat> so so let's talk first about going the right way. Who's to determine what the right way is? Because we've had people down through history mm -hmm. who have gone, quote unquote, the right way. And yet they end up doing things that you and I would consider to be rather abhorrent, very antisocial and so forth and so on. So how do we, how do, in our search, how do we come to grips with that concept of going the right way? Yeah, well, th well, that's the ultimate challenge. And, you know, it has many different aspects. Well, well, first of all, you, you don't want to create suffering. I mean, the, the golden rule and to have an awareness of, of the suffering uh, and violence you're creating. I mean, I'm, I'm actually currently reading a pilgrimage to eternity by Timothy Egan, and he recounts all the horrible, uh, violent acts done in the name of, of religion in his pilgrimage from Canterbury to Rome. And it's pretty heavy. It's somebody who's really wrestling with his faith in a very physical way as he walks a thousand miles mm -hmm. uh, to Rome and, and braves blisters. So th that's where, you know, having that true intuitive spiritual heart comes in. If something strikes you as not right, as misinterpreted, uh, you have to go with your own higher higher instinct. Also, I mean, the fact of searching for a teacher uh, is a very high, high calling. Mm -hmm. Somebody who has, see, the thing is, um, people don't give the Supreme Being enough credit, I feel, because there's always a way to return to God if you have faith. I, it's my belief, and it's because of what I've learned from spiritual teachers throughout time, is there is always at least one living master on earth. I'm, I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, insult anyone, get anyone riled up, but God did not send one person, one man, for all time. And if you were born and died before that person came into being, you're out of luck. And the thing is, we're human beings. 
we go to become a brain surgeon, you don't read some book written 300 years ago and start drilling a hole in somebody's skull. That just doesn't work. You have to learn through doing through a living teacher. Mm -hmm. Well, spirituality is the most challenging occupation we can address because we're riddled with a mind that's been going out away from God for thousands of lives. So to really tackle and progress in spirituality, you'll need a living teacher. And, and that's really where your highest powers of discrimination and discernment come in. First of all, a true living teacher is never going to request a penny from you. There will never be any money required for anything. The teachings will be given fully freely. Uh, this teacher would be completely judgmental. They'll just tell you what you need to do. You know, first, uh, you have to create a, a foundation of, of learning about, about the teachings. Mm -hmm. But it's really about, and also looking for any signs of, of ego. A true teacher is perfectly humble. It's like if you've never met a person who is the embodiment of humility, it's the most inspiring thing. I mean, here is this being that is truly without ego. They are the most docile, sweet, peaceful person, yet within them, you sense resides complete power. They could lift up the continent with their energy if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So we are where we are because of all of our past lives. And you can say we've been given a raw deal because we don't know what our past lives are, although occasionally there are people who can recover them. Uh, which I've been very lucky to do. I was me meant to recover my past lives and write about them. And mm -hmm. reading In Search of Lost Lives, you can get a sense of how through across thousands of lives, I became spiritualized. I mean, in a life not that long ago, maybe a thousand years ago, it didn't occur to me that when you kill an animal, it's going to experience pain. I mean, not that long ago, uh, if somebody was a witch uh, or they were a heretic, they would be burned at the stake. And it was like watching the Super Bowl, which is very violent, but you're not killed intentionally in, in football, usually. Right. So it's, it's really all a matter of consciousness and being devoted to developing your consciousness. You know, this whole business of reincarnation, of course, has been... Uh over the centuries, very controversial, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the, the at the time, the powers that be uh, mm -hmm. that basically tell us, no, there, there, you don't get a, you don't have an opportunity to, to do it better the next time. This is it. This is all you get. And, and the, it's heaven or hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Join and I think my congregation. That, yeah, exactly. And that the, the one thing that has always, and and maybe I'm not alone in this, but the one thing that has always, um, once again, perplexed me, I love the word, uh, the dichotomy, if you will, the the contradiction, if you will, is, uh, maybe not the contradiction, but anyway, is that, that um, the powers that be assume that the majority of people will think the way they are thinking, so they need to make sure that they're not given the public, uh, the peasants at the time are not given the opportunity to even think that way. So we're just going to eliminate the possibility by saying, no, this is it. This is, you get the one shot and you're done. Whereas when you begin to understand the true relevance, and I want you to share with us your observations as to the true relevance of reincarnation, when you begin to understand that, it's not that the universe is giving you additional opportunities down the road to live a good life. It's, it's like what you were, I think, starting to refer to as learning, shall we say, if I can borrow this phrase, learning the lessons of our personal history, i.e. previous lives, so as to understand who and what we are now in this life so as to maybe be able to live a better life. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, that's a wonderful assessment. And well, let's see, the thing is, the, the administrator of this plane 
receive certain boons from the supreme power. And by and large, people don't remember their past lives mm -hmm. because if they did, they would do everything they could to leave the realm of, of the, the god or administrator of the realm. They would know what suffering they underwent. Well, the point is, one statement I want to make, regardless of whether you believe in reincarnation or not, it's going to happen. You're going to come back. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're going to your your karmic your reserve karmas. All the actions and reactions that have accumulated from the past are going to bring you back. Your attachments will bring you back. You will come back unless you become liberated, uh, and your 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 reserve karmas are dissipated. But looking back uh, at your lives, it's. It's really important to know that everything has has a consequence. Every action, every every thought, every every spoken word, every action is going to have a consequence, and it's either going to take you toward God or away from God. And so you definitely will come back. You know, the real question is, and I talk a lot about write about this in the wisdom of grooming, which is in a new now uh, part of the eleven uh, loving wisdoms, is whether you're going to come back as a human or not. I mean, I, I would like everybody, uh, and you get this opportunity when you read that section of the book, uh, The Wisdom of Grooming, is basically you have four choices in life. You can just go on and uh, life as it is, pursue your desires mindlessly. It's sort of really, rather than a mindful life, really just go where your sensual attractions take you. You can have like a, a goal. Let's say you want to be uh, a concert musician or a great actor, but um, maybe you've been preoccupied because you've been having to earn a living and raise a family, and you haven't been graced with the right situation to be to become an, a child actor or a concert pianist from an early age. Well, you can pursue that that occupation with the idea of coming back. I really feel that a lot of a lot of people, I mean, Mozart is such a prime example. I mean, Mozart didn't come as a musical genius just because of his DNA or his genes. That that is really the accumulation of practice and desire. Desire is really the juice that runs the creation. So that's really your second alternative. It's really to have a purpose or an object, and really the highest to, to seek uh, to seek for a true teacher. Mm. The third, the third choice, you know, in terms of trying to figure out what you want to do with your destiny is, you know, maybe you believe in heaven, well, and you'd like to get into heaven, and you can have the most wondrous existence there for a seeming eternity. So in that case, you would want to do good works to help people with as little ego as possible. You'd want to develop humility as much as possible. But the fact of the matter is, and there are heavens and there are, you know, individual heavens. I mean, just the next highest region beyond the physical would seem like a perfect heaven. And it's where a lot of mystics and spiritual leaders stop. They didn't go any farther. They never got beyond that mind region. Well, the fact is, if you go to heaven, if you still have a reserve of karmas, you're going to come back to this planet, to, to the physical world. So the fourth option in trying to determine how you want to pursue your, your destiny is to decide that you're fed up with the, with the suffering you've gone through and you want to have a life of perfect bliss. You've, you've seen all the strife and turmoil in this world and you want to have the most perfect existence possible. Well, that that is the incentive for seeking the path of the masters who teach you, who take you beyond the mind to the purely spiritual regions. Mm -hmm. So that in a nutshell, and people can write me if they want further clarification, is really, it's really taking responsibility for your life and deciding what kind of a destiny you want to pursue forgetting about whether or not you have free will. Always act as if you have free will and you can be the best person, kindest, virtuous person possible. Well, I know that in my own life, 
and you may have also, this is maybe where some of this comes from for you is mm -hmm. I have found that it has been uh, better for me to be that kind and or gentle person, uh, compassionate and understanding, not, not giving away my power, so to speak. And we can mm -hmm. talk about that as well, but uh, in terms of, um, you know, searching out and trying to find my life's purpose, which I believe I have, and also accepting the reality. And again, I can only speak for me that my life has meaning. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't think that your life has meaning, then as I've often said on this program, I said, look, if my life had no meaning, I'd forget about this interview. I'd go out and rape and pillage and plunder because it doesn't matter what I do. But there's something inside of me, and maybe it's in that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place that we encourage people to go to during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, uh, to listen to that still, small voice. What about you? Oh, yes. I mean, if, if, if I my life didn't have meaning, if I, I'd be fully depressed and just pursuing all the sensual delights without caring you know, what the consequences are. My life is... Full of meaning. I mean, I I wouldn't work so hard on my books if my life didn't have meaning. I mean, I feel one of my purpose, my main purpose, other than to, to meditate and devote myself spiritually, is to articulate spiritual truths. Uh, I'm, you know, my my main profession. I was in the financial world. Uh, I I was in the very gray. Up to this area of taxation, uh, which I enjoyed immensely. But now that I've left that world, uh, I'm my the meaning in my life is to write, and I simply write what my higher self directs me to write. All those lives are recovered. I was, I thought, I mean, I started out always wanting to know what my last four lives were, but I was literally directed to recover life after life. And they often came in sevens, which I found really interesting. And there'd be a group of seven lives across time, and they'd have a spiritual connection in terms of what I was supposed to experience and how I was supposed to become spiritualized to become a better human. One of the things that I've said on this program about this program is that, yes, I want to change the world for the better for everyone. But it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in terms of following, quote unquote, the right path. What is better for everyone? And obviously that's subject, subjective uh, on a scale of over 8 billion, because no two people have the same definition of what's better. Right. Well, each of us has our own, our own destiny. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty much, you know, written but how you respond is not. I mean, what's better for people is to attain an existence of, of unalloyed love devoid of suffering. I mean, that's pretty universal. Maybe that's my subjective take on it. But, you know, if, if you're born uh, on a boat uh, to people without a country, without, you know, who have nowhere to go, um, you know, you're in a you're in a certain situation, and you only have so many options. Uh, so all of us, I mean, it's important to be really grateful for what we have. If if we live in a in a country of so called freedom, we we do have that of freedom and ability to seek, rather than just zoning out into whatever captures our attention. The, the thing is to, to have an authentic, self-directed life that will serve you. I mean, I think your approach is, is really the best to, to really be in touch with what your purpose is and, and to pursue that. One of the things that is uh, so intriguing to me about this life, and I would say, yeah, okay, sometimes challenging, uh, is the the circumstances that we find ourselves that I find myself in, and and sometimes repeated, 
over and over again in the and and what I consider to be a short life of uh, no more than a puff of smoke as far as the eternity of existence as far as we know uh, that's the other aspect of for example death there are those who believe that when you die it's lights out there is nothing beyond this and I say okay if that is true and I don't know that it's not if that is true we're not going to know because well it's lights out and it's we're done uh then again there are uh, it makes no sense to me that we're here and we're here and we we ponder and we reason and we observe and we speculate and we do all of these things and we create and 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 so forth and it makes no sense that we're going through all of these motions and that's it and then it's over it, 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 again, it goes to my rational mind, my logical uh, process. That doesn't make any sense. That is no. totally illogical. Yeah. Well, consciousness continues. That's that's a fact. And where where you will end up uh, is really uh, dependent on what your actions have been in this lifetime and the past. Now, in in the search of lost lives, I was surprised that I also recovered animal lives. I mm -hmm. write about 17 lives when I became an animal. And for the most part, uh, all but one, one or two of those lives, I lost the ability to take human birth because the scales weighed heavily in terms of the hurtful actions I committed. Mm. Uh, I I kind of went over overboard. I created too many hurtful actions, and I lost the invaluable opportunity to come back as a human. Now, the fact that I was being spiritualized and I was meant to come on this current path really saved me. But uh, a couple of the lives where I did really egregiously bad actions, I had to go to what called a state of reformation, which people commonly refer to as a hell. And you're there for a seeming eternity, and it's really paying off this horrid, regretful uh, karma that you created. But then I came back uh, as a human. So you're going to keep coming back until you are without karma, until it's, it's really vaporized. It's 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 the equivalent, if you will, of um, making sure that uh, all the bills are paid uh, and that uh, you're moving to a new location and uh, you have everything in order and you're done. Uh, however, in our human uh, or I should say more in our spiritual context, uh, that could take quite a number of lifetimes. And I, I was looking at the list of lifetimes your average age i find this uh, uh, there's actually a, a thing i saw on uh, facebook just the other day in regards to our upcoming election and it says and that we've got uh one guy um the average the average uh, uh death age in america is 75 and a half uh there's one guy that's running who's 78 another guy who's holding the office who's 81 Shouldn't be we shouldn't we be more concerned with who is going to be vice president than president <laughs> that kind of thing, but your average age of all of the lifetimes and am I correct in what I'm reading over four thousand four thousand one hundred thirty seven wow your average age was forty two, uh, but then again that's that's that says nothing because you may have died as a child and then again you may have lived to a hundred in some of those lives. How did oh, you? Yes. What? How did you come to discover 4,000 plus lives? I, I went through life between lives therapy, just the life that I just lived before this one, which I thought was kind of cool. And that's number one for me. Right. <laughs> You've got over well, 4,000. Well, at, at this point, I don't know what all the 4,000 lives were, but I know for sure that's the total number. Mm -hmm. You know, and I and I did work uh, with a female spirit guide before this life to be able to traverse time to be able to access certain lives. But, but and often I get questions, particularly like if I'm coast to coast, people want me to tell them what their past lives were. You know, I, I'm not omniscient. But the thing is, <laughs> if you're really if you're really curious, there is a point 
when you progress beyond mind, where all of your lives are an open book. It's like you know everything, you see everything. And that's when you go beyond beyond the mind. Mm. What have you, in terms of the lives you have looked into, what have you learned uh, that has changed you uh, from these, from the the lives that you've really gotten into depth with, and 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 so forth. Well, I mean, total absolute gratitude that I am where I am uh, in terms of my spiritual evolution, which is not to put me on any higher plane than anyone, but to know what I've gone through. I mean, Richard, I went all the way. I've I've lived on three planets, and people will will. We'll find the lives on other planets really fascinating because they're way more interesting and easier places to live than Earth. But I was directed to discover when my spiritual evolution really began. And it began thousands of years ago on my first planet when I was a woman uh, with six children on the planet Chorzo. And I had this experience uh, during the night of complete wetness and drifting in a a sea of bliss. And that really awakened my higher mind to go searching. So to know all these lives, life after life, I went through. And I write about 29 uh, what I call spiritual evolutionary experiences, where something happened that moved me further into higher consciousness. So I had these four groups of seven lives that I would recover one after another, and then a 29th life. So reading In Search of Lost Lives, you really get a sense of our comings and goings. At one point, I debated whether to put all the lives from the other planets and my Atlantean lives, my my Lemurian lives on my website, which is goddard.com. But I thought, no, you know, the book has to be as long as it is. It's 399 pages, so people can get a sense of their comings and goings and what they had to go through. And the lives when my hurtful actions outweighed my better actions, and I lost that valuable opportunity. You know, I can tell you what my last animal life was. And what was Uh, that? And this was within my last 50 lives. I believe it was number 47. I was a female cow in Africa. And I gave birth to three calves. And it's kind of funny because like Hindus consider a cow uh, really the highest animal, part, mainly because it gives so much service to human beings, uh, actually. Mm. So, but often I, I mean, I came, I was a rabbit, uh, I was a skunk, uh, dogs. I mean, I think a, a lot of dogs become, uh, we have, have had recent lives as humans. That's why. We have great relationships with those animals. Yeah, I can tell you that um, I still remember my first dog, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, unfortunately, on on the one hand, unfortunately, my wife, uh, my first wife, she she got him, but it was primarily because uh, the dogs that I had with my second wife would not uh, put up with. Uh, they were a pack, and of course, yes. in a pack, you can't. You usually cannot bring uh, into the pack uh, another another dog. Yeah. yeah, but since then I had a beautiful white shepherd chow, uh, shepherd uh, husky mix, and she was all white with a pink nose, but the characteristics were there, and she turned into a dog who I wanted i had wanted for a long time and that was one who i didn't have to worry about wandering off if i didn't have her on leash and i could call her and boom she would come right back and mm-hmm. it was so wonderful and she was so loving and um and uh it was just a wonderful experience and i can only imagine uh what life's previously that she had lived maybe as a human that she and I had associated, and of course I use those those labels uh, in a general sense because there is no, you know, you can go into the trans trans uh, uh, thing all you want. There is no male and female in the spiritual world. It's only what we put on it. Um, so, uh, but it, she she was marvelous, and and I miss her. I wish she was still around, but I'm also glad she's free of the body that she was in, as my father. 
the man the 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 man I knew as my father left this earth uh, March first of twenty twenty three. And uh, he was free of that body that just he was so frustrated with. Uh, he's not frustrated anymore. <laughs> and that's a good thing. When we give up the body, it's going to be a, a reason to celebrate because absolutely uh, now, no more suffering. Yeah. Now, there is but, so much more that we could uh, we could converse here. And I want to continue this conversation. Uh, however, I'm coming close to a deadline myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to thank you for being a part of this program. My guest today, Michael Goddard, uh, Goddard.com is the website, correct? Correct. I got it right. A-R-T for Tom. Absolutely. We'll be linked to that website as well. And um, I, first of all, thank you so much for sharing uh, this story because there's a lot more that we are going to talk about. I'm going to have you back maybe in the next week or two to continue our conversation about these lost lives because I think that it is important. It's um, It really, I think, goes to the epitome of the phrase that if we refuse to learn from our history, I'm going to keep it personal. <laughs> then we are doomed to repeat it. And there are people who are doing that over and over again because they haven't learned. And we'll find out about, uh, matter of fact, in the next program, I'd like to find out from you, and this will be the impetus for our next program, how we go about finding out about those lost lives. We'll put it in that context, especially in light of the title of your book. But thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Richard. It's been a delight as always, and my best wishes to everybody listening. And I thank you all for listening and watching as well. Uh, just a reminder, this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Time, streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are podcasting at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations, as well as YouTube, where you can watch these conversations. We hope you will. And subscribe and click notification and all of the good stuff there. And if you can support what we're doing here financially, we would be so gratefully appreciative. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And um, they'll ask you for an email address to whom you're sending. Richard at richarddugan.com is the email. Richard at richarddugan.com. We also ask that you spend time going within as we started out the program talking about intuition. And I'm sure that'll come up as well in our next program. And spend that time during this, the decade of perfect vision uh, in that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place to listen to that still small voice of encouragement. I still get impressions from my father through that quiet, peaceful place. I hope that you will uh, receive encouragement and instruction and guidance and all the good things that 2020 vision, if you will, uh, brings you. And when I use the word vision, that's expanded from just the eyes. With all of that being said, I thank you all for joining us. And until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast, love to lol. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my friend Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho, aho. <laughs>